And I think that the moment that we we stop listening to each other is the moment that we lose our humanity. And it's the moment where art is basically rendered mute. And that's something that really frightens me. You're listening to Strings Attached. I'm Asaf Moz. I can't wait for you to listen to our conversation today. When I last heard Emmanuel in a lecture, I realized that very often we are stuck in a set of rules, constraints, that keeps us from having new ideas or even worse, creating new ideas that only fit the frame that we currently have. As he said it, being comfortable is not safe. So you know the drill, follow the podcast or rate it on Spotify, Apple or on Facebook. And let's meet my guest today. Oh, I almost forgot. I left you and Emmanuel a small surprise at the end. So my name is Emmanuel Whitstam. I am a musician, a composer, artistic director, and uh, I do sort of a wide array of projects, some digital, uh, some multimedia, and I also do consultancy work on uh, business modeling in the arts and strategic transformation in the arts and how digital technology is influencing artistic direction in the arts in the 21st century. I have so many questions for you, but first I have to say we have known each other for some years. I've known you firstly as, as a musician, as a viola player, but I guess two years ago I went back, back to, to school and I took a course and suddenly you were standing in front, in front of the class and giving a lecture about how to think a little bit outside of the box, how to move the needle in not necessarily the classical music world. Could you say a bit about maybe what's the main point that I should have taken from this lecture? Uh, I used to be a classical musician. I used to be a viola, viola player. And um, at some point in my life, I really wanted to expand how I... Uh, looked at things and how I collaborated with other, with other musicians and with other people. And one of the things that really struck me very strongly, and this sort of re relates to the lecture that I gave in that course, is the struggle that we have sometimes as artists to break free from uh, funding models. So we are so throttled, I feel sometimes, by subsidy or by foundations, or by uh, public funding, um, that it was very important for me to try to figure out ways in which we could become more independent. And the, the, the lecture that I gave in that course, I really hoped that it would give um, us all uh, ways to look at what we do from a bird's eye view. To say, okay, so I'm doing this now, but what more can it be? Can it be another project? Can it scale? to other places, other countries? Uh, can it give me more money in order to create more projects? Can it open my mind to new opportunities? So basically really looking at what we are doing from multiple perspectives uh, in order to break free. I think that was sort of what I was trying to do. I love it because in our education or used to be education as classical musicians, we are more constrained. 
Mm. We're supposed to think inside the box, you know, deliver the notes, the, the precise notes at the exact same time. How and, and where did you figure out that one can move a little bit to think a bit differently? I think that um, I've always had that. As a viola player, um, every time I managed to do something, I immediately wanted to change. So uh, when I was in New York and I studied that at the Manhattan School of Music with Michael Tree of the Guarneri Quartet, um, I began to play with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. And uh, the week, literally, the week that I began playing with the orchestra, they approached me and said, okay, so we're going to go on tour uh, in Vietnam and uh, Japan, and we'd like you to join us. Uh, we're going to be doing the Carter's Clarinet Concerto and other stuff like this. And that same week, I got a letter from IRCAM in Paris saying that I was accepted to the year-long cursus uh, in uh, IRCAM as a composer. Now, I had just opened my email account. This was 1999. I had never created anything electronic. I did not speak French. Um, and uh, as a composer, I, I loved composing, but I never thought of myself really as a composer. And then I remember I spoke to my dad and I said, I don't know what to do. They're like, you know, on the, on the one hand, a dream came true. On the other hand, an opportunity happened that I'd never thought of myself. And my dad said, what would you most regret in five years? And within three months, I was in Paris. And it was the same thing. So I was, in Eric, I was at IRCOM. I played with Ensemble Contemporaine under Pierre Boulez. And then I got an offer to move to Berlin. And I was like, well, I've done this now. So what? I'll just do it again and again and again. And I think that this sort of thing really drives me. It's very difficult for me to stay in one place after doing it for a very short amount of time. That can be a negative thing, of course, uh, but it's also something that really guides me. I'm very, very curious. I'm very open, and I really want to constantly change and do things that, that push me and sometimes even push me, put me at a risk, but really push my boundaries. So if you had to define maybe... The, the thing that we misunderstood or the least um, were educated for during our, um, I don't know, youth towards modern life as a musician, as a creator, as, a, as an entrepreneur, what do you think we're lacking the most? That's a fantastic question. I think that um, the, the first thing that we are lacking um, is the fact that our artistry doesn't need to come at the expense of um, our understanding that this goes into uh, the world. That's one thing. And the second thing is that the value of our creative mind does not have to be limited to the arts. The very fact that the right side of our brain is very, very, um, uh, I would say, advanced, uh, that we have a lot of capabilities. They can be through empathy. They could be through generosity. They can be through compassion. They can be through thinking out of the box. They do not have to be limited to an artistic field. They can also be something that resonates our humanity. You finished your studies. You traveled around the world. What was your first project or first managing project that you, you felt like, now I'm doing something influential. Now I'm trying to do something that's a bit different than just playing the viola or just composing. So I think that the answer to that would be, I, when I came back to Israel, I spent 10 years away from Israel. Uh, three in New York, three in Paris, and three in Berlin. And then I decided to come back to Israel because I felt that I needed to change. I didn't want to be a musician anymore. And I did a master's degree at the Hebrew University in Cultural Studies and Sociology. And uh, during this time, I was approached by the Israel Festival uh, in the beginning to coordinate their artistic programming. And then gradually, I became more and more involved in the music programming of the festival. 
And then uh, I was approached by a theater in Jerusalem called the Lab Theater uh, to become their artistic director. And um, the first meeting I had with the CEO of the, of, the, of the theater when I joined, he said to me, okay, so we have the budget for the rent of the building. We have the budget barely for the salaries. We have no budget for the programming. And then I said, so why did you bring me? And he said, well, you need to figure that out. <laughs> and that was, on the one hand, unbelievably scary. Uh, and on the other hand, it was incredibly liberating because all of a sudden uh, I could dream. And the, the dream that I realized I needed to do was not to say, okay, I'm going to bring this ensemble to play that concert or this theater ensemble to do this theater piece. I needed to come up with a strategic program that would bring me money really quickly in order to be able to survive. And the thought process that brought me to the direction that in a way saved us for three years was that I realized that programming is not about content, it's about story. Something that connects people, something that people say, wow, I can, I can identify with this message, so I will support you, even though I don't know yet what the program is. And my thought was, this was based in Jerusalem, my thought was to create a program that was entirely based on the idea of Jerusalem. So all of our projects related to the city of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, the culture of Jerusalem, the history of Jerusalem, the tensions of Jerusalem. And uh, by doing this, we were able to... Uh, get funding from foundations and from families very quickly. And also projects that I did uh, at the time, I gradually scaled them to, to, to be able to be presented in other places as well because they were city-specific. So from Jerusalem, they could go to Paris, they could go to Berlin, they could go to New York. And so, but this moment of crisis was, I, for me, a very transformative moment because I suddenly realized it wasn't about bringing that musician or that choreographer, it was about creating something more fundamental. I'm going to come back in a second to this idea of moving these projects to different cities, but how does one, you know, you're coming from this world of, you know, you're performing pieces and suddenly you have to invent ideas. You have to dream dreams. How do you dream so many dreams? I mean, I, I feel it can be scary a bit to, to come up with so many ideas. To, you know, you have to invent projects. Did you, did you do it by yourself or do you have a team? Do you like to be a team player? I love uh, working with a team. It's uh, something that I thrive in. Um, I'm actually dependent on it. I don't like working alone. Um, I think that for different uh, projects and different uh, uh, situations as artistic director, I had different types of teams. Um, but the, in a way, it's this understanding that Being comfortable is not safe. For me, feeling comfortable in a way sort of lulls the create, creative drive. And so, first of all, the transition to move from the Israel Festival, which was a very secure job. Uh, the Israel Festival is a very big festival. I had uh, a lot of freedom to do with the things that I wanted to do and move to a smaller theater and be the sole person holding the artistic programming of that theater was a risk. And then also the the really serious risk of having no money and needed to invent something completely new, I think that by being pushed into that place, uh, I thrive in that place. It's, it's something that I, I love. I read about you that in, in this project of Jerusalem, you went around and recorded the sounds of the city. And I loved your, your saying that in a few minutes only of recording, you've, you caught 
a few languages, French, Armenian, Russian, Hebrew, English, Arabic, of course. What was it like to be, you know, almost a sociologist of, of, the, of this crazy city? So when I created the, these projects uh, um, at the lab, one of the things that I really wanted to try and tackle were that I wanted people who come as audiences to experience our works to be able to identify or to be able to feel that this project is speaking to them and not at them. And one of the projects we created was a modern dance project that related to prayer. So this thing about trying to bring secular and religious people together in a place where maybe something could flower in terms of a conversation. This project that you're talking about now, this came out of two main uh, pillars. One, the desire to try to take the life of Jerusalem and transform that into art. So basically really spending a week recording the streets of Jerusalem, the nature sounds, prayers, uh, everything, and, and then using these samples in order to create a live electronic audiovisual experience. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, it was something whereby I felt sometimes we in Israel have a very difficult time explaining our story to people from the outside. And by inviting people uh, from the outside, uh, this, this project, the first time it was created, there were six audiovisual artists who came from uh, America and Europe uh, to be part of the project, it was in a way a gateway to sort of being there and not sort of hearing uh, just a narrative from somewhere else, but being in the city and being able to experience that city and from there creating their own perspective or their own thoughts about this place. So the project came out of this thing, but also just imagine the audience coming in as Jerusalemites, all of a sudden hearing sounds that they know, the market, the synagogues, you know, everything. And all of a sudden, wow, this, how, how does something that I know become transformed into something that is artistic? So I, I found that very, very interesting to be able to do that. Did you feel that you were true enough and honest enough to tell the story of the different people making the sound the, the sounds of Jerusalem being being a, a, an Israeli Jew and not you know from any other religion I think that definitely the the, the fact of who I am uh, was something that uh, was uh, sort of uh, expressed in the artistic uh, uh, um, performance we always tried to do our best to open as wide uh, a window um, but it's definitely something that uh, only because of the multiple perspectives of the artists really did that come into fruition. If this was only me, maybe it would have been something different. I love that you're using the word telling a story. Mm. You know, nowadays it's very uh, modern to say I'm a storyteller. But how does one improve or gain this capability of telling a story? Because anyone can, you know, tell a story, a bedtime story, but to tell a story, a wide one, as a form of art, it's very difficult to, to gain this, this uh, I don't know what to say. You know? What do you think about that? I agree with you. I think that, um, I I'll, I'll use ex uh, the example as well, again, from the Israel Festival. Every time the Israel Festival was about to release its program, um, we would give interviews on the radio, on TV, in newspapers. And One of the things that I realized very quickly on is that by telling people what shows we were bringing, we lost everyone because it was so, there was so much. And, and it was like, okay, so how does this connect to that? And in a way, there was no framework. And so I decided to change the way I told the story exactly because of this, to say, 
All of these things hang into that thread. And this thread will guide you through the different parts. So that's one side of the, of the thing. The second thing is the imagination of the experience. So yes, I will come to hear the Israel Philharmonic play a concert, but my imagination of the experience is not only in the concert. It's about imagining how does one leave their home? How does one move from their home to the hall? What happens when they go in? What happens when they're sitting down? Who are they sitting down next to? What happens after they leave? By imagining a wider spectrum of things, a story begins to erupt. Do you think that we're lacking that? That many people do not uh, see the audience as part of the experience? I think that there are a lot of uh, issues around this that sometimes... Uh, artists may think that the art is the most important thing and the audience is in a way a byproduct of that. The same way that artists sometimes think that marketing is, well, you know, I didn't create a product, I created a work. I, did, I shouldn't market my work, my work should market itself. I mean, there are a lot of things that hinder us by saying, well, you know, the audience is part of the experience. And by thinking about the audience, you're not detracting from the work, you're enhancing the, the value or the interaction. So you were talking before about your work from Jerusalem moving to different cities in the world. Could you talk a bit about that? How do you transfer the sounds of Jerusalem to any other world on the globe? Yeah, I think that if I can take a step back from that question, one of the things that I love very much is not to create one thing and then have it be. Rather, To create something and then begin that as the beginning of something else. Or like, uh, basically I joined a path right now. I didn't just close a door. And when we created this project, I, I presented the project in a, in a forum. And someone came to me afterwards and said, would you be willing to do this project in Paris? I think, they'd be loved to, I, I think they would love to hear Jerusalem in Paris. And I said to him, yeah, but may, why don't we create a dialogue? Why don't we bring Jerusalem to Paris and also record Paris? So there's a dialogue between them. And then uh, from there, I realized that basically by pushing this as a... So it's not by pushing the work. It's not by pushing the content, rather by pushing the framework. To say the idea is that we remix a city, not that we perform Jerusalem. So there, the switch happened. And this is something that basically all of a sudden, a complete new world opened up because other cities wanted to be remixed. Actually, the last time we did this project in 2020, right before the corona pandemic hit, uh, we were invited to, um, um, to be artists in residence in Munich in a festival. And the festival invited us not only to remix Munich, they also asked us to remix the festival. Wow. So we basically spent, we recorded all of the concerts, the city of Munich, and in our final show, which was an audiovisual installation, Uh, that was done live, we combined the sounds of Munich and the concerts of the festival into one concert. It was amazing. But uh, it's just basically by, by being open like this, so many other things can happen. One of the things that I remember from your lecture is this project 
that was done online, that you built a website mm -hmm. that one can approach and create the sound of the city. What I love about this project is that there are artists that are involved, but eventually me, the, the end user, is the best artist. I'm creating my own sort of art. So here are two questions. First of all, where did this idea come from? But secondly, are you trying to recreate the concept of audience, of the end user? Why don't we begin with the second part of that question? Because I, I'm, I'm very interested in that right now. I think that definitely since, I would say, 2016 with the election of Trump in the United States, this just from my perspective, and um, also following the corona pandemic and also in the polarizing discourse that's happening, I think, between uh, people in different sides of society, one of the places that art can have is a place of healing and a place potentially to dissolve friction. And one way I feel this can be done is by potential interaction. So when people feel involved, they're more invested. And a lot of the projects that I've been doing over the past decade uh, explore this concept. So a project of mine that's actually being, going to be launched in two weeks in Germany is a project called the Symphonic Garden. And it's a sound installation that I'm doing with Itamar Duari, uh, the percussionist, uh, where um, it's a sound installation that lives in a garden. And sensors from the earth and from the weather feed into the music and they change and manipulate and touch the music. But the, this is also done by the audience basically wandering around the garden and triggering sounds and, uh, and creating their own experiences. I think that this place of interactivity is very interesting. Not in the sense of saying, okay, well, I as an artist am not doing anything, now the audience is doing everything. Rather of saying, what can happen if we try to create a dialogue between my creative output and the input that comes from the interaction with the audience. And uh, the moment that the artistic expression is not belittled, uh, and at the same time the audience is given agency, then a really interesting conversation can happen. When I created Mix the City, which was the first interactive project that I did, uh, basically this also stemmed from a crisis. Um, I joined uh, the British Council, um, and the British Council, which is an organization that supports the Uh, cultural connections between Britain and the rest of the world, they said to me, okay, well, we're changing our model. And from an organization that used to fund, we want to be an organization that can raise money to support and sustain itself. This was a massive problem because uh, outside, it was perceived as a funding body. So how could I now go and try to raise money? Uh, when everyone said, well, you mean you're not raising money, you're supposed to give money. <laughs> and... Uh, The way that I thought about doing this was to say, well, if we can create a sense of value, if we can create a sense of joy uh, in art by showcasing uh, what a city can be, by allowing people to discover a city by making music, maybe something uh, beautiful can happen in terms of a community. But the same thing happened with Mixed the City that happened with Dissolving Localities, the Jerusalem Project, where I realized that We did this in Tel Aviv the first time. And then I said, well, you know what? What happens if I take out Tel Aviv, but keep 
the framework of the technology, then other cities can happen. And all of a sudden, the project began to bloom. And we did it in many, many other countries. And it was an absolute joy because you, you discover a city by making music. And each city has its own unique sound. And every city, you know, we, have, we discover new musicians, new locations, and new languages, and new types of interaction. And it was absolutely incredible to, to be in a situation where so much openness can happen. You know, in this, in this case, you're describing an interactive website, mm -hmm. a web page. But I read in your bio, I'm just naming a few. Um, you work with Google, with the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Um, you are trying to move from the technology world to the different kinds of, um, how to say, artistic bodies, the, the major artistic bodies. Do you think we need to incorporate more of the modern day life in the old fashioned art? Is this the way to make this art more accessible, more interesting, or just more diverse? I think that as long as the essence of what the artistic expression is trying to be is kept, then it doesn't necessarily matter what medium uh, it takes. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, an interactive or participatory or collaborative exp uh, experience, uh, and it doesn't necessarily only have to be a frontal experience where I as an artist perform before, uh, uh, before an audience. Um, it really depends on what the type of uh, communication uh, is required. I really love trying to experiment with this. And uh, right now, for example, I'm working um, for Zeiss, the, uh, the, the German uh, technology company. They brought me in as a creative resident for their innovation hub. And uh, I spent time there. They invited me in the beginning not to be an artist, but to bring an, artistic, an artist's mindset into their innovation processes, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, first of all, not to necessarily be an artist, but to sort of say, wow, the value of how we approach things is important for them um, and, uh, and can give value to them. And then following my first residency with them, I was commissioned by them to create a musical piece. And I decided to use the innovation processes that I'd experienced at size, so brainstorming, ideation, pitching, all of these processes, and to create a musical piece out of them. And uh, Ensemble Modern performed the premiere of that work. The reason I'm giving this example is because the context shaped the piece. Meaning? The, basically, the idea that, the, that I didn't just create a musical piece. The musical piece used the processes of innovation in order to become a musical experience. I've seen the music, sort of what you created. It's not notes. No. Yes, that's true. So how, what, what kind of music creation is that so the the i i was facing a dilemma when i created this the score i said to myself well either you write the music and the musicians just perform the music but then in a way the innovation process isn't really happening they're just you know mimicking something and i said well how can i create something where the musicians really need to create a language together and they need to be constantly on their toes because things are constantly dynamic and changing. And I decided to create a score that's completely graphic. So everything is, I mean, there are, there's no music that's notated. And in the first rehearsals with the ensemble, uh, we tested these ideas. And uh, 
I basically said to them, guys, you need to create your own boundaries. You need to decide what this means. The fact that I created this shape or the fact that this flow moves there. And our dialogue through this uh, sort of both create a language of interpretation and also create a musical language. But it really was very important for me that the next time in another ensemble does this piece, it might be completely different. But I'm very curious, what did the tech company take eventually? What's the main point that the tech company took from you, from Emmanuel? The artists that came, you know, they, they know about everything about numbers, about science. What, what did they take from you? Artists typically work in very emergent ways. So we may decide that we want to do something, you know, in the end, but the way for us is very important and the way can change the end. So we may begin with something, but in the end, something may change. Um, that's one thing. So to be very comfortable in this insecurity, that's something that was very, very important in our dialogue. The second thing uh, that um, they, the experience that we had together was not to be afraid of the unknown. So basically to say, we're beginning from something and we don't know what that is and it's okay. We don't, we don't try to answer that question too quickly. That's another thing. And the third thing is uh, basically a different type of teamwork. So uh, typically in uh, my world, uh, in, in the arts, and this may differ from an orchestra, uh, we work in very non-hierarchical Uh, ways so the teamwork uh, the, the the input that's that that really happens in a string quartet yeah. uh, basically everyone's input guides something and sometimes with them things were more hierarchical and things basically needed more structure and I tried to dissolve the structure in order to allow for more experimentation so I, I I'm listening to you and I'm I, I have to ask you're definitely not a conservative person <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that uh, I think that you're right <laughs> but you know in, in, in our world we like definitions so you, as you introduced yourself you said I'm a violist I'm a musician a composer a consultant do you find yourself constrained by, by these definitions or is just what defines you if, it, if it's even a question Uh, that's really uh, that's funny when uh, my oldest daughter Alma uh, went into seventh grade a few days after she began uh, the school year she called me said dad I'm here in class and uh, what do you do <laughs> I guess what happened was that all the kids were telling you know the other kids what their parents were doing and she had no idea how to categorize <laughs> or explain who I am and I think that that's that it's very difficult for me to to say what do I do um, I think that I use arts and I am an artist in order to try and navigate and create new worlds for me and new paths. And it's very, very difficult for me to constrain myself into a thing. So to say, you know, um, I do one thing or I do that for a long time. So that leads me to my question. What are the dreams? What, what is this, the project that you're still dreaming of that... You know, you might get funding for and then you can, or as you said, you don't need funding, you will invent it. Do you have any dreams that coming, comes to mind, something? I, a dream of mine that's, uh, that's very, very strong right now is to be able to create a place where art, um, technology, and um, I would say compassion 
join together um, in order to create a space of healing. This is something that I've been trying to work on for a number of years now uh, because I feel that creating art in order to create art is amazing, but something more deep has to happen right now. I'm very worried about, I mean, definitely what's happening now in Israel, uh, but also around the world. Uh, I, I'm really, really worried about polarization. And, but, but because I am an artist, I'm not an activist in that you know, uh, political way. The, the only space that I can try and, and create uh, is something whereby art helps to create dialogue. And this is something that I really, really want to be able to do. And the thing that right now is most lacking for me is how does this express itself through technology? So trying to create music through AI sounds terrible right now. It sounds like a MIDI exactly. uh, plastic experience. And uh, on the other hand, uh, by composing through AI, very quickly it becomes chaos because the AI basically renders itself uh, you know, uh, insane. So one of the things that I'm very curious about right now is trying to figure out a technological way where the music generates itself through interaction with the audience in a space where, uh, for example, with the symphonic garden, let's imagine, uh, the music grows together with the garden. The more the garden is cultivated, the more the music grows. And at the same time, the less the garden is cultivated, the music dies. So basically something like this whereby we create a sense of, I would say, common uh, responsibility by maintaining something that is not necessarily our own. What would you like to recommend our audience, our listeners, to think differently or to suggest ideas for us as creators that we might use as, as our next, uh, I don't know, as, as a model to, to create for them a different experience? So I'm very interesting right now in uh, the question of what is art right now? A number of projects that I really love, uh, I feel relate to that. One is a project called the Museum of Empathy, uh, where uh, this project will sort of ask itself, what is a museum now? Is a museum a building that is curated uh, and which you have to be silent and someone else is choosing the content? Or is a museum a space for exchange and for being together and discovering some, someone else? Another project is a project that I love called the School of Integration by a Cuban artist called Tanya Bulguera, where she created uh, a school where refugees teach people about their cultures. And so these two projects, in a way, they're not an artistic experience. They're an artistic framework. They're a space through which uh, people can discover more about other people and be together. And I think that art can be this. And by doing that, it can be something which has a profoundly transformative uh, impact and potential. And, uh, and I think that that's something that's very, very important right now. Thank you, Emmanuel Wittstim, for this conversation. I love the thought of getting out of my comfort zone. I invite you to follow the Facebook page Strings Attached Podcast where I will post some links to Emmanuel's artworks. Feel free to comment or ask questions. I love hearing back from you. I'm Asaf Maoz and thank you for listening to Strings Attached. What is the most important question I didn't ask you? Or what should I have asked you and I didn't? It's funny because I'm thinking about this and, and I don't know if this is because of 
the situation right now, but uh, what am I most afraid of? What are you afraid of? I think that I'm most afraid of a place where we stop listening to each other. This, this is something that really, really scares me. And I think it's, we're seeing it right now between people. And I think that the moment that we, we stop listening to each other is the moment that we lose our humanity. And it's the moment where art is basically rendered mute. And that's something that really frightens me. And I think that also that's why the projects that I do now as an artist cannot exist only within an artistic context. They, can on, they cannot only be a concert. They cannot only be uh, you know, a festival. They have to say something more broad. You know, I feel that this past few months made me want to create less. I felt a bit numb. How can you help me or others or yourself to feel that actually creating new ideas is actually good for us to maybe overcome the situation? I think that uh, art has a tendency to uh, relate to current state of affairs in general late because art is reflective and art uh, that is too quick to respond can be political. But for me, it's constantly this question of how can art heal? And I think that by thinking about this, uh, this drives me to create more. I love it.